Sunday under three heads, Chapter Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Charles Dickens' Two Hundredth Anniversary Collection, Volume Five. Sunday under three heads, Chapter Two, by Charles Dickens. Chapter Two. A Sabbath as Bills Would Make It The provisions of the bill, introduced into the House of Commons by Sir Andrew Agnew, and thrown out by that House on the motion for the second reading, on the 18th of May in the present year, by a majority of thirty-two, may very fairly be taken as a test of the length to which the fanatics, of which the Honourable Baronet is the distinguished leader, are prepared to go. No test can be fairer, because while on the one hand this measure may be supposed to exhibit all the improvements which mature reflection and long deliberation may have suggested, so on the other it may very reasonably be inferred that if it be quite as severe in its provisions, and to the full as partial in its operation, as those which have preceded it and experienced a similar fate, the disease under which the Honourable Baronet and his friends labour is perfectly hopeless and beyond the reach of cure. The proposed enactments of the bill are briefly these. All work is prohibited on the Lord's Day, under heavy penalties, increasing with every repetition of the offence. There are penalties for keeping shops open, penalties for drunkenness, penalties for keeping open houses of entertainment, Penalties for being present at any public meeting or assembly. Penalties for letting carriages, and penalties for hiring them. Penalties for travelling in steamboats, and penalties for taking passengers. Penalties on vessels commencing their voyage on Sunday. Penalties on the owners of cattle, who suffer them to be driven on the Lord's Day. Penalties on constables who refuse to act, and penalties for resisting them when they do. In addition to these trifles, the constables are invested with arbitrary, vexatious, and most extensive powers, and all this in a bill which sets out with a hypocritical and canting declaration that nothing is more acceptable to God than the true and sincere worship of Him according to His holy will, and that it is the burden and the bounden duty of Parliament to promote the observance of the Lord's day by protecting every class of society against being required to sacrifice their comfort, health, religious privileges, and conscience for the convenience, enjoyment, or supposed advantage of any other class on the Lord's Day. The idea of making a man truly moral through the ministry of constables and sincerely religious under the influence of penalties is worthy of the mind which could form such a mass of monstrous absurdity as this bill is composed of. The House of Commons threw the measure out certainly, and by so doing retrieved the disgrace, so far as it could be retrieved, of placing among the printed papers of Parliament such an egregious specimen of legislative folly. But there was a degree of delicacy and forbearance about the debate that took place which I cannot help thinking as unnecessary and uncalled for, as it is unusual in parliamentary discussions. 
if it had been the first time of sir andrew agnes's attempt to palm such a measure upon the country we might well understand and duly appreciate the delicate and compassionate feeling due to the supposed weakness and imbecility of the man which prevented his proposition being exposed in its true colours and induced this honourable member to bear testimony to his excellent motives and that noble lord to regret that he could not although he had tried to do so adopt any portion of the bill but when these attempts have been repeated again and again when sir andrew agnew has renewed them session after session and when it has become palpably evident to the whole house that his impudence of proof in every trial kens no polite and heeds no plain denial it really becomes high time to speak of him and his legislation as they appear to deserve without that gloss of politeness which is all very well in an ordinary case but rather out of place when the liberties and comforts of a whole people are at stake in the first place it is by no means the worst characteristic of this bill that it is a bill of blunders it is from beginning to end a piece of deliberate cruelty and crafty injustice if the rich composed the whole population of this country not a single comfort of one single man would be affected by it it is directed exclusively and without the exception of a solitary instance against the amusements and recreations of the poor this was the bait held out by the honourable baronet to a body of men who cannot be supposed to have any very strong sympathies in common with the poor because they cannot understand their sufferings or their struggles this is the bait which will in time prevail unless public attention is awakened and public feeling exerted to prevent it take the very first clause the provision that no man shall be allowed to work on sunday that no person upon the lord's day shall do or hire or employ any person to do any manner of labor or any work of his or her ordinary calling what class of persons does this affect the rich man no menial servants both male and female are specially exempted from the operation of the bill menial servants are among the poor people the bill has no regard for them the baronet's dinner must be cooked on sunday the bishop's horses must be groomed and the peer's carriage must be driven so the menial servants are put utterly beyond the pale of grace unless indeed they are to go to heaven through the sanctity of their masters and possibly they might think even that rather an uncertain passport there is a penalty for keeping open houses of entertainment now suppose the bill had passed and that half a dozen adventurous licensed victuallers relying upon the excitement of public feeling on the subject and the consequent difficulty of conviction this is by no means an improbable supposition had determined to keep their houses and gardens open through the whole sunday afternoon in defiance of the law every act of hiring or working every act of buying or selling or delivering or causing anything to be bought or sold is specifically made a separate offence mark the effect a party 
a man and his wife and children enter a tea-garden and the informer stations himself in the next box from which he can see and hear everything that passes waiter says the father yes sir a pint of the best ale yes sir away runs the waiter to the bar and gets the ale from the landlord out comes the informer's notebook penalty on the father for hiring on the waiter for delivering and on the landlord for selling on the lord's day but it does not stop here the waiter delivers the ale and darts off little suspecting the penalties in store for him hello cries the father waiter yes sir just get this little boy a biscuit will you yes sir off runs the waiter again and down goes another case of hiring another case of delivering and another case of selling and so it would go on ad infinitum the sum and substance of the matter being that every time a man or woman cried waiter on sunday he or she would be fined not less than forty shillings nor more than a hundred and every time a waiter replied yes sir he and his master would be fined in the same amount with the addition of a new sort of window duty on the landlord to wit a tax of twenty shillings an hour for every hour beyond the first one during which he should have his shutters down on the sabbath with one exception there are perhaps no clauses in the whole bill so strongly illustrative of its partial operation and the intention of its framer as those which relate to travelling on sunday penalties of ten twenty and thirty pounds are mercilessly imposed upon coach proprietors who shall run their coaches on the sabbath one two and ten pounds upon those who hire or let to hire horses and carriages upon the lord's day but not one syllable about those who have no necessity to hire because they have carriages and horses of their own not one word of penalty on liveried coachmen and footmen the whole of the saintly venom is directed against the hired cabriolet the humble fly or the rumbling hackney coach which enables a man of the poorer classes to escape for a few hours from the smoke and dirt in the midst of which he has been confined throughout the week while the escutcheoned carriage and the dashing cab may whirl their wealthy owners to sunday feasts and private oratorios setting constables informers and penalties at defiance again in the description of the places of public resort which it is rendered criminal to attend on sunday there are no words comprising a very fashionable promenade public discussions public debates public lectures and speeches are cautiously guarded against for it is by their means that the people become enlightened enough to deride the last efforts of bigotry and superstition there is a stringent provision for punishing the poor man who spends an hour in a newsroom but there is nothing to prevent the rich one from lounging away the day at the zoological gardens there is in four words a mock proviso which affects to forbid travelling with any animal on the lord's day this however is revoked as it relates to the rich man by a subsequent provision we have then a penalty of not less than fifty nor more than one hundred pounds upon any person participating in the control or having the command of any vessel which shall commence her voyage on the lord's day should the wind prove favourable the next time this bill is brought forward which will no doubt be at an early period of the next session of parliament 
perhaps it would be better to amend this clause by declaring that from and after the passing of the act it shall be deemed unlawful for the wind to blow at all upon the sabbath it would remove a great deal of temptation from the owners and captains of vessels the reader is now in possession of the principal enacting clauses of sir andrew agnew's bill with the exception of one for preventing the killing or taking of a fish or other wild animals and the ordinary provisions which are inserted for form's sake in all acts of parliament i now beg his attention to the clauses of exemption they are two in number the first exempts menial servants from any rest and all poor men from any recreation outlaws a milkman after nine o'clock in the morning and makes eating-houses lawful for only two hours in the afternoon permits a medical man to use his carriage on sunday and declares that a clergyman may either use his own or hire one the second is artful cunning and designing shielding the rich man from the possibility of being entrapped and affecting at the same time to have a tender and scrupulous regard for the interests of the whole community it declares that nothing in this act contained shall extend to works of piety charity or necessity what is meant by the word necessity in this clause simply this that the rich man shall be at liberty to make use of all the splendid luxuries he has collected around him on any day in the week because habit and custom have rendered them necessary to his easy existence but that the poor man who saves his money to provide some little pleasure for himself and his family at lengthened intervals shall not be permitted to enjoy it it is not necessary to him heaven knows he very often goes long enough without it this is the plain english of the clause the carriage and a pair of horses the coachman the footman the helper and the groom are necessary on sundays as on other days to the bishop and the nobleman but the hackney coach the hired gig or the taxed cart cannot possibly be necessary to the working man on sunday for he has it not at other times the sumptuous dinner and the rich wines are necessaries to a great man in his own mansion but the pint of beer and the plate of meat degrade the national character in an eating-house such is the bill for promoting the true and sincere worship of god according to his holy will and for protecting every class of society against being required to sacrifice their health and comfort on the sabbath instances in which its operation would be as unjust as it would be absurd might be multiplied to an endless amount but it is sufficient to place its leading provisions before the reader in doing so i have purposely abstained from drawing upon the imagination for possible cases the provisions to which i have referred stand in so many words upon the bill as printed by order of the house of commons and they can neither be disowned nor explained away let us suppose such a bill as this to have actually passed both branches of the legislature to have received the royal assent and to have come into operation imagine its effect in a great city like london sunday comes and brings with it a day of general gloom and austerity the man who has been toiling hard all the week has been looking towards the sabbath 
not as to a day of rest from labor and healthy recreation, but as one of grievous tyranny and grinding oppression. The day which his Maker intended as a blessing, man has converted into a curse. Instead of being hailed by him as his period of relaxation, he finds it remarkable only as depriving him of every comfort and enjoyment. He has many children about him, all sent into the world at an early age to struggle for a livelihood. One is kept in a warehouse all day, with an interval of rest too short to enable him to reach home. Another walks four or five miles to his employment at the docks. A third earns a few shillings weekly, as an errand boy or an office messenger, and the employment of the man himself detains him at some distance from his house from morning till night. Sunday is the only day on which they could all meet together and enjoy a homely meal in social comfort, and now they sit down to a cold and cheerless dinner, the pious guardians of the man's salvation having, in their regard for the welfare of his precious soul, shut up the baker's shops. The fire blazes high in the kitchen chimney of these well-fed hypocrites, and the rich steams of the savory dinner scent the air. What care they to be told that this class of men have neither a place to cook in, nor means to bear the expense, if they had? Look into your churches, diminished congregations, and scanty attendance. People have grown sullen and obstinate, and are becoming disgruntled with the faith which condemns them to such a day as this, once in every seven. And as you cannot make people religious by act of Parliament, or force them to church by constables, they display their feeling by staying away. Turn into the streets, and mark the rigid gloom that reigns over everything around. The roads are empty, the fields are deserted, the houses of entertainment are closed. Groups of filthy and discontented men are idling about the street corners, or sleeping in the sun, but there are no decently dressed people of the poorer classes passing to and fro, where should they walk to? It would take them an hour, at least, to get into the fields, and when they reached them, they could procure neither bite nor sup without the informer and the penalty. Now and then, a carriage rolls smoothly on, or a well-mounted horseman, followed by a liveried attendant, canters by. But with these exceptions, all is as melancholy and quiet as if a pestilence had fallen on the city." Bend your steps through the narrow and thickly inhabited streets. Observe the sallow faces of the men and women who are lounging at the doors, or lolling from the windows. Regard well the closeness of these crowded rooms, and the noisome exhalations that rise from the drains and kennels. And then laud the triumph of religion and morality, which condemns people to drag their lives out in such stews as these, and makes it criminal for them to eat or drink in the fresh air or under the clear sky. Here and there, from some half-opened window, the loud shout of drunken revelry strikes upon the ear, and the noise of oaths and quarrelling. The effect of the close and heated atmosphere is heard on all sides. See how the men all rush to join the crowd that are making their way down the street, and how loud the execrations of the mob become as they draw near. They have assembled round a little knot of constables, who have seized the stock in trade, heinously exposed on Sunday, of some miserable walking-stick seller, 
who follows clamoring for his property. The dispute grows warmer and fiercer, until at last some of the more furious among the crowd rush forward to restore the goods to their owner. A general conflict takes place. The sticks of the constables are exercised in all directions. Fresh assistance is procured, and half a dozen of the assailants are conveyed to the station-house, struggling, bleeding, and cursing. The case is taken to the police office on the following morning, and after a frightful amount of perjury on both sides, the men are sent to prison for resisting the officers, their families to the workhouse to keep them from starving, and there they both remain for a month afterwards, glorious trophies of the sanctioned enforcement of the Christian Sabbath. And to such scenes as these, the profligacy, idleness, drunkenness, and vice that will be committed to an extent which no man can foresee, on Monday, as an atonement for the restraint on the preceding day. And you have a very faint and imperfect picture of the religious effects of this Sunday legislation, supposing it could ever be forced upon the people. But let those who advocate the cause of fanaticism reflect well upon the probable issue of their endeavors. They may, by perseverance, succeed with Parliament, let them ponder on the probability of succeeding with the people. You may deny the concession of a political question for a time, and a nation will bear it patiently. Strike home to the comforts of every man's fireside, tamper with every man's freedom and liberty, and one month, one week, may rouse a feeling abroad, which a king would gladly yield his crown to quell, and a peer would resign his coronet to allay. It is the custom to affect a deference for the motives of those who advocate these measures, and a respect for the feelings by which they are actuated. They do not deserve it. If they legislate in ignorance, they are criminal and dishonest. If they do so with their eyes open, they commit willful injustice. In either case, they bring religion into contempt. But they do not legislate in ignorance. Public prints and public men have pointed out to them again and again the consequences of their proceedings. If they persist in thrusting themselves forward, let these consequences rest upon their own heads, and let them be content to stand upon their own merits. It may be asked, what motives can actuate a man who has so little regard for the comfort of his fellow-beings, so little respect for their wants and necessities, and so distorted a notion of the beneficence of his Creator. I reply, an envious, heartless, ill-conditioned dislike to seeing those whom fortune has placed below him cheerful and happy, an intolerant confidence in his own high worthiness before God, and a lofty impression of the demerits of others. Pride, selfish pride, as inconsistent with the spirit of Christianity itself, as opposed to the example of its founder upon earth. To these might be added another class of men, the stern and gloomy enthusiasts, who would make earth a hell, and religion a torment. Men who, having wasted the earlier part of their lives in dissipation and depravity, find themselves when scarcely past its meridian, steeped to the neck in vice, and shunned like a loathsome disease. Abandoned by the world, having nothing to fall back upon, 
nothing to remember but time misspent, and energies misdirected. They turn their eyes, and not their thoughts, to heaven, and delude themselves into the impious belief that, in denouncing the lightness of heart of which they cannot partake, and the rational pleasures from which they never derived enjoyment, they are more than remedying the sins of their old career, and, like the founders of monasteries and builders of churches in ruder days, establishing a good set claim upon their Maker. End of Sunday Under Three Heads, Chapter 2